in a few minutes of nonchalant talk, get everybody online, on the line and, and everything. And uh, again, we, we are glad that you're here in person. It's always uh, in, more enjoyable to see you that way, but we are glad for the folks that join us on the internet as well. And I know the internet ministry is there. I get notes from people all the time thanking us for it, and we're glad we're able to do it. All right, we're going to finish the chapter this morning, chapter 11, therefore finishing chapter num or section number three in the book of Romans. And uh, we'll introduce the fourth section next week by really just looking at chapter 12, verse 1, as we introduce the fourth and final section. The fourth section is always the section everybody wants to get to because it's talking about your service and your doing and your going and rah, rah, rah. Well, you can't get to 12 without the first 11 chapters because chapters 12 to 16, that really chapters 12 to 15 and a half there, is building upon you understanding those first three foundational sections. And this morning, I want to finish the chapter therefore finishing the third section and hopefully maybe get us ready for the fourth section. So we're going to start reading in verse 30. That's where we kind of ended last time. Uh, actually, let's uh, look back up there at verse 28. We'll start there. As concerning the gospel, they, and that is Israel, are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye, and that's Gentiles, in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their, and again, that's Israel's, unbelief. Even so have these also now not, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever Amen. And as we end this chapter and as we end this section, Paul here, just in, in an overwhelming uh, awe and praise from coming from his inner man about, about the, the, the wisdom of God and what he's doing in the dispensation of grace today. And really, there's, there's this just, Paul just unloads this, this praise this awe, this peace that fills his inner mans in regard to what God is doing with Israel today in the age of grace, but also what he's doing with the Gentiles. And really from verse 33 down, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom, he's just, there's just this great doxology, we would call it, about the awesome, the awesomeness of God. Okay, and I say it that way on purpose, get you to look up. But the thing is, is when he does this, he's really telling us and teaching us how we ought to be looking at this third section. Now, in verse 28, again, we looked at this last time, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. And, and, and that's the nation of Israel. 
And usually what happens is, is people say, oh, you're being anti-Semitic. Uh, no, we're not. What is God's attitude towards national Israel? They're fallen. They're cast away. They're dead. Verse 15, if you look back up there to verse 15, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them but life from the dead? Verse 11, they've fallen. So the national, not the individual Jew, but the national issue has been resolved. And the resolve of that, in God's estimation, is that they are cast away. They are fallen. They're not nationally of, of, of importance. Now, the individual is, okay, but not on the national stead, setting. So he says they're enemies for the gospel. Now, the gospel, just remind you, come back to chapter 1 of Romans, which gospel he's talking about. Romans 1, verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there it is again. Paul's manner in his Acts ministry is what? Jews first. But he's in that synagogue dealing with the individual. He's not dealing with the nation. The individual now has to believe. It's an individual, every man. So he's got to come over to, uh, we'll come back to chapter 11. He's not in nation building today. He's in man building, individuals, okay? And that's what, so for the gospel, the gospel of Christ's sake, what are they? They are enemies. Uh, if you remember from last time, uh, look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this issue of enemies. They're not friendly. They're, 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 they're going to actually try to kill you. They're actually going to try to persecute you. 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 14 for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. So that's their history. They're killers. And have persecuted us. They please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. And I'll remind you that wrath is come. It isn't coming. It isn't in the future. It's here, and that wrath is that casting away, that fallen condition. They've lost the, f the favored status. So when you come back into chapter 11 of Romans, in verse 28, Paul's concluding that section here in, in the chapter of, hey, Listen, Israel's fallen condition and they, their, their status before God is a temporary thing, verse 25. It's temporary, blindness in part. And one day, verse 26, all Israel shall be saved. They will enjoy their future hope. Just right now, what's their status? Fallen, cast away, dead. The, he's reconciling the world now without the nation of Israel in the, the mediator position. Now he's going directly to man. And because of that, they are what? Our enemies. But, verse 28, as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And again, that issue of the election there 
It isn't salvation. We're not talking about justification here. We're talking about the elective purpose of God. God has a purpose to do something in the earth with the nation of Israel. Therefore, he reached to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and made covenant agreements with them that he would do this. He looks at David and makes a covenant agreement with David, the Davidic covenant. He talks with Moses, and he makes a covenant agreement with Moses concerning the Palestinian and the land, and this is what's going to happen. By the way, he also did that little law covenant with Moses and and the law, but the thing is, is for the election's sake, for the, for the believing remnant, that little flock, the true Israel of God, what's he going to do? Verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He's not going to change his mind. One day Israel will be restored. One day, Israel's temporary condition will be removed. So you Gentiles, don't think you're replacing Israel. Don't think you're spiritual Israel. That's the two great things that that covenant theology out there, mainline Christianity, say. We've replaced Israel, or therefore we are spiritual Israel. And Paul says, no, you're not. That's why the warning back up there in verse 19 and 20 and so forth. Why? You're going to say this. It ain't true. Knock it off. You're something different. And that's why he uses the olive tree as that, ish, as that illustration here. Of, uh, and again, the olive tree, access to God. You, the Gentiles now have something that is very unnatural. And that's access to God without Israel being that channel. The natural issue is the access of God goes through Israel. So now when you come to verse 30, Paul now in 30 to 36, our chapter, our section for this morning, Paul is going to summarize the whole of chapter 9, 10, and 11. And he's going to summarize the end of the third section here on really to illustrate to us how we should view this section, how we should look at chapters 9, 10, and 11, the details here of the declaration of Israel, they've fallen, they're cast away, they're dead, they're enemies. How should we look at that? How should we view that? What is God doing with these guys? Why is he doing that? What's he doing with the Gentiles? What's he doing with the reconciling the world? and granting access to Gentiles. How, how should we look at this? How should we be viewing this? And again, in a very few, few short verses, Paul summarizes territory that everybody I've ever really talked about in this section stumbles over, falls, and breaks their spiritual neck on. Because Paul just comes in, and he's going to summarize, he's going to bring it all together. So what does he do? Verse 30. For as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. But ye at where? Time past. Where does he go? He takes us back to time past, doesn't he? Again, he's going to show, he's, he's summarizing the section, and where does he take us? Time past. Now, he doesn't give any more details than that, does he? He just says, back in time past, you were what? 
you didn't believe. You didn't believe God. But now, when you come over to Ephesians 2, what does he do? He gives us details, doesn't he, in Ephesians 2. Paul's done that so far through the whole of Romans. He says, he introdu- Romans 5, he introduces the idea of we're not going ha- to see the wrath to come. No detail. No, this is how it's going to happen. This is what this means. And, but later he does what? 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, he gives those details. And he's doing it again here. He says, hey, in time past, you have not believed God. Well, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Hey, he goes back to the beginning, doesn't he? He takes us all the way back. Ephesians 2, verse 11, Wherefore, remembering that ye... Being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised uh, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, where does, where does Paul take us in, Gen- back in Romans 11 here? He takes us, he reminds us, of where we were back in the old days, back in time past. Now, Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 give more details. But think about the Old Testament. Now, go back to Romans 11. But in your mind, go back to Genesis 1 through 11. What happened in Genesis 1 through 11? God was very patient with the Gentiles, wasn't he? He... Man did his thing, Noah and the flood hit. From Noah and to the Tower of Babel, or Genesis 12, uh, with Abraham, okay, what did we have? He was very patient with man, wasn't he? He was just patiently dealing with the Gentiles, and then his patience. So from Genesis 1 to 11 is roughly a little more than, is a little over 2,000 years of human history he just he's patient through it all he lets man go and then he says all right look back there at genesis 11 this this verse is just it sits here look at genesis 11 and verse 6 the lord they uh, nimrod they built the tower of babel they built the city. They have a political entity, and then they have a religious center of one God, that, that God, the Baal worship, what ultimately is Baal worship. Verse 5, Genesis eleven five, 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, and here it is, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they will begin to do. Now, that's a no-no because what did God tell them to do? Scatter. The three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, scatter, boys. Get out there. Fill the earth up. And now, watch the end of verse 6. Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. He, He let man get to that point where there's nothing restraining man. So he says, go to, let us go down, 
and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore, it is, in, is the name of it called Babel, and so on. And we read in Romans 1, how, 3, God gave up man three times. It's, it's right here in this, in this timing of Genesis 11. And then who shows up in Genesis 12? Abram, Abraham, God's people show up. So when you think about when Paul says, hey, you guys in time past, you got to remember back there, we didn't believe God. So what did he do with us? He cut us off. He set up a, he set up a middle wall of partition between us called circumcision. He's reached into the, to the, into the his, come over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. He, he, he comes over and he sets up his own people. He reached down and, he, and Paul is reminding the, us, Gentile, again, he's summarizing 9, 10, and 11 by taking us back to our beginning as a Gentile. Deuteronomy 4, um, just verse 1, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the, my, all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. Look who's looking at Israel. The nations, why? They're cut off. They're on the outside looking in. They don't have access to God. Who's got God? Israel does which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely, now watch this, this nation is a wise and understanding people. Now watch verse 7. For what nation is there so great, who are a great people and who are outstanding people and wonderful people? And No, why is Israel so great? Because, for who hath God so nigh unto them? as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. You know, Israel, God reached down into Abram and did things with Abraham. And Abraham, by the way, was a Gentile until Genesis 17, with the circumcision came in, okay? That set him apart. But he, he doesn't say, God's doing this because you guys are so wonderful. He says, you guys are a great, come over to chapter 7, a wonderful nation, and a great nation and a great people because you've got God nigh. You're able to go and talk to God. The Gentile couldn't do that. They had to come in and go through the wall and get over here, and then they, would have, they had to have access to God through the nation of Israel. So Paul reminds us, hey, you didn't have access. You're without Christ. You're, you're aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise. You're without God. No hope. That's who you are. Remember that. Chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. 
verse 6, Moses writes, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. Isn't that it? He didn't choose them because they were... He chose them, well, verse 8, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob again. Hath the Lord brought you out of the mighty with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So when you come back to Romans 11, Paul starts... In the, the doxology here, the end of the section, the end of the chapter, with a, okay, you see what's going on right now, but remember your past. In the past, you didn't believe God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Yet. Back then, you didn't believe God, yet now what? You have an opportunity to but you have an opportunity because of what? Israel's unbelief. And I'll be honest with you. Verse 30 is one of those verses that kind of hits you between the, the solar plexus, if you will. <laughs> if you don't understand the word rightly divided or dispensational Bible study, you can't explain that verse. Because when you go into the Old Testament... The only way for a Gentile to reap any benefits of believing or God or anything, they had to go through who? Israel. They, go, they have to go through the rise of Israel. Follow that? Come over to chapter 15 of Romans. Because Paul's going to talk about this here in the future. It's Israel's unbelief. It's, it's, you didn't come to believing... God didn't do this program because you are now such a wonderful people. God changed the dispensation. He's reconciling the world. He's doing the dispensation of grace now because he's doing something, but also because of what? Israel's unbelief. Now, in Romans 15, when we get over here, you start there in verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto who? The fathers, there they are again. Now watch this. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all ye Gentiles and laud him all ye people. And again... Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles what? Wait a second. How did the Gentiles get there? Paul's quote, he's quoting Psalms. He's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Deuteronomy. How did the Gentiles get there? Through the what? The rise of Israel. But in 1130... You're on board, not because of their rise, but because of their demise, their unbelief. You with me? So remember that, guys. Go back to 1130. 
yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Now, that's a dispensational thing, isn't it? Because how did 11.1 start? Has God forsake... Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 11.1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite. It isn't about the nation now, it's about the what? The individual. So the individual Jew has an opportunity to gain what? Mercy. In Acts 7, where the fall of Israel happens, the stoning of Stephen... What does Stephen see coming? It's time for wrath. It's time for the fulfillment of the prophetic program. It's time for him to carry it out. Here he comes. He's standing to shake and to make war. And to try. What would that have done to the unbelieving Jew? Would it cast him into the lake of fire, ultimately? But now, in the age of grace, the dispensational change, what do they have? 1131, an opportunity for Mercy, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. There's no way to explain these verses unless you rightly divide the word of truth. Unless you recognize the dispensational setting that's happening today in the age of grace. That's, by the way, we've, this has been going on for 2,000 years or better, Okay. How, does, how is he able to do that? Well, God is doing something that was unheard of. <laughs> the Old Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament does salvation come to the Gentiles apart from the rise of Israel. But today, what is it? There's only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He's able to have mercy through the fall, through the unbelief of Israel. So now when he starts verse 33, Oh, the depths and of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Now we can appreciate what Paul says, because look at what he just did to us. He just reminded us of chapter 9, our past. The past condition of Israel was unbelief. Then he goes over in chapter 10 and he says, even today in the dispensation, it's, they're still operating in unbelief. Chapter 11, they're still, because of their unbelief, God is doing something now with the Gentiles. He's granting the access. So now he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He's just busting out in praise. He's just busting out here from the inner man because he understands. Think about Paul, Saul of Tarsus, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He's a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He, know, he knows that Old Testament. He knows no Gentile has a right to stand there and make a claim like the Gentiles can claim today. He understands that. And you know what? Just busting out all over. Oh, the depths of the riches of the, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Wow, it just bust out. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, that part of that verse goes to church about every Sunday somewhere. 
because they want to say God's not knowable and you can't know. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul understands that that Old Testament doesn't, equi- doesn't say anything about what he's just taught us in 9, 10, and 11. He understands that. That everything that's happening today in the age of grace is unnatural. It's not a natural thing. But it's being done because of what? The riches of his wisdom and knowledge. He looks over and he says, you know what? How unsearchable. And Paul's going to begin to communicate the magnitude of what's happening today in human history. Based upon nothing that's searchable. It's unsearchable. Therefore, it was never prophesied. It was never talked about. In our Wednesday night studies, we're in Mark 8. In Mark 8, there, verse 31, he says, And he, at this time he began to teach about his death, about going to Calvary. Prior to that, no talkie, no talkie-talkie about Calvary. He begins to tell them about he's got to go to Jerusalem and die and be resurrected. And Peter says, I ain't going to happen, Lord. And re- so the gospel of the kingdom has nothing to do with Calvary. The gospel of the Christ has what? Everything to do with Calvary. See, that's what, it's unsearchable. It's, un, it's not prophesied. And the only way to know it is to have that proper understanding of what God is doing today in the dispensation of grace. That new revelation given to the Apostle Paul, given to the Gentiles, given to the Jews. And when you come there, you know what you're going to say? You're going to say verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches of his wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Notice the language, very very specific language here. He's stunned at the mercy of God through Israel's unbelief. He's stunned at the wisdom and knowledge of God to come over here and do something that's unsearchable. It's not found anywhere. Who can know? Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Again, it's unheard of. Where in Scripture do you find that through Israel's unbelief, salvation is going to the Gentiles? Nowhere. It's not there. You can't find it back there. Nowhere in Scripture do we find God being merciful to an entire world through Israel's unbelief. Through their rise, all day long, it's all over, but not their unbelief. The only answer is is that that unsearchable plan and purpose that God has in the dispensation of grace, in the forming of the church, the body of Christ, and seating us in the heavenly places. So Paul is going to use some very deliberate language here now. Verse 35, Or who hath first given to him 
and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul, the language, it comes from an awe. It comes from a, wow, who, has, who knew the mind of the Lord to do this? Who knew? Who was his counselor? Now, again, we try to counsel the Lord all the time, don't we? You know, come on, Lord, you can just hit him in the head one time for me, would you? You know, we do that a lot. But who? Now, when he says there in verse 33, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, he's not saying that God is too big to know, to comprehend. Come over with me to Ephesians 3. I, I One time I had a, a pastor tell me, you, there's just stuff in the book you can't know. And I said, really, what about Ephesians 3? Ephesians 3, verse 16. One of Paul's prayers, the second prayer in Ephesians, as he prays for mature saints, here's what he prays for that he would grant you, Ephesians 3.16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by the, his spirit in the inner man. Where is the spirit working? In the inner man. He works in you. He doesn't work on you. Okay? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Dwell at home. You come in here, you're at home, you go next door, get coffee, donuts, whatever. There's no donuts over there, I know that. Coffee, you feel at home. You dwell. How's he dwelling in your hearts? By faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love, and here it is, may be able to comprehend with all saints... What is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him that is above, able to do exceedingly above, I'm sorry, exceedingly abundantly above all, now watch, that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him, see you would have never in your best days thought to ask the Godhead to send his son to die on the cross for your sins. Man would have never thought that. But he did. You would have never thought to say, Lord, why don't you interrupt Israel's program and pour out grace and peace and mercy and long-suffering and all, so that we can have a reprieve here so that we can do some, you know. You no. But he did. That simplicity in Christ. See, look at verse 18. Well, verse 16, you're going to have the Spirit of God dwell in your inner man, work in your inner man. You've got Christ dwelling in your heart. You see that? Verse 18, you're able to comprehend with who? Isn't that amazing? All the saints are to know this. It ought to be very humbling to realize how many saints do not know this. It ought to be, actually, it may, actually brings a tear to the eye. 
on how sad it is when you look at believers who don't rightly divide the word of truth. They think it's a weird thing, and yet the only way to understand any of this is to acknowledge the Apostle Paul and his ministry. Now keep reading. Able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Now that covers it all, doesn't it? That's all of it. Now what that is, come back to chapter 1 of Ephesians and verse 9. We are to know, we're, we're, we are able to know and we are to know what the full picture is, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. Ephesians 1, 9, having made known unto us, having made, that's the, by the way, this is the Father's activity, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. Who's doing the blessing here? The Father is. He's using the Son and the Spirit. Verse 9, so what does He do? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, the Father's will. The will of God is no longer a mystery. It's nothing secret. It's not hidden. It's what? Knowable. And we are to know it. He's revealed it. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, he's made known something here. He's made known the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. That whole cube, he, he's made all of it knowable. What is it? Verse 10. That. Here's the intent, here's the purpose, here's his will, that, in. The dispensation of the fullness of times, again, future of us, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. What's the purpose of the Father? 3, 6, 18 says that we're to do what? We're to know, we're to comprehend what the breadth, the length, the depth, and the, the height is. We're to know the full scope of the will. What's his will? That out there in the future, he's going to bring all things. And, and in chapter 1, the all things are identified as the principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, that governmental structure. All those things are going to come back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the earth, he's going to use... The, the vehicle called the nation of Israel, the true Israel of God, that believing remnant, that little flock, as they fulfill out. In the heavens, he's going to use who? The church, the body of Christ. You're in chapter 1. Look down there real quick at verse 22. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Again, he's the head of the church. He's going to use us, chapter 2, verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now go back to chapter 1. I know I'm going fast, but this is, when Paul says unsearchable, none of this is in the Old Testament. You can't go back there from Genesis to Malachi and find it. You can't go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts and find this. Where do we find it? The Apostle Paul. Now look in chapter 1, but now watch verse 11. In whom also we, church, you and I, saints, have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after, here it is, the counsel of his own 
will. So when you come back to chapter 3, and he says that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ, there's the activity of the Father. There's the plan of the Father. Which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. You have the whole Godhead working in your life. That comes from what? Recognizing the magnitude of what God's doing today in the age of grace. Now, when you come back to Romans 11, that's what Paul's doing here. Paul is, he's recognizing the magnitude of what God's doing. And he can't keep his mouth shut. It's just bursting out on him. He just, you know, runneth over at the mouth. He's just, boom. Because what God's doing today is he's making everything known. And he's doing it through a program change, a dispensational shift. By, because of Israel's unbelief, they were ready for wrath and torment. The 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation, it was all ready. And he reaches in and he interrupts it and says, no, I got something else to do. Before that can get done, I got to do this. And then I kept a secret. It's called the hidden wisdom of God. Come over to 1 Corinthians 2. So when he says unsearchable, he's not talking about unknowable. He's talking about you can't go back in that Old Testament and find this. The wonderful riches of the now revealed truth of God. His plan and his purpose for the heaven and for the earth. That's where we're at. You got 1 Corinthians 2. In Ephesians 1, just hold on to 1 Corinthians 2. Ephesians 1, look at verse 8. I should have read this verse to start when we started, but look at Ephesians 1 8. Man, the Spirit, you're blessed with all spiritual blessings. I had a, co- a conversation with the gentleman a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about doing something to get the gain, to move, you know. If I do this and I get my gift and I do this and I do that. And I said, but what does Ephesians 1, 3 say you have? You have all spiritual blessings. So you're not getting to gain. You're, you're, you, got this, you got the horse in front of, you know, behind the cart. What does Colossians 2, 10 say? I'm complete in him. So I have everything. He goes, oh, well, it's, you know, it's just for the worship moment. I said, oh, so it's self-centered now because that's what it is. Make yourself feel good. And he's like, well, I think I should go. I'm Okay, and he hung up. Well, that's, but that's what it is. I need to feel good about myself. Well, let's feel good about who we are in Christ, and let's go have that. Look at Ephesians 1.8. You found it now. Wherein he, again, that's the Father, hath abounded toward us in some wisdom and prudence. All of it. So the revealed word, now go back to 1 Corinthians 2. The revealed truth of God's plan and purpose has been what? Fully made known. He, doesn't, he didn't keep anything over here. 
and he's going to spring it on us later. If he did, then he's a liar because he says he's made what? All wisdom, all of it's known, you know. There's a crazy idea that once you get to heaven, he's got another set of books to pull out on you to, he's going to do with. No, he says he's made all wisdom known. It's right here. 1 Corinthians 2, look, if you will, at uh, verse, um, well, the whole chapter, but look at verse 16. In Romans 11, he says, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, and who hath been his counselor? For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Look at 2.16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Okay. But we have, what? The mind of Christ. Now, we try to counsel the Lord. I said that a minute ago. But what do we have? We have. So the answer to the questions of who can counsel, who knows the mind of the Lord, we do. Who, can, who hath been his counselors? We are. Why? Because we have what? The mind of Christ. Now we have the mind of Christ in the issue that we have the word of God, but we also have the mind of Christ in that who are we? Or where are we? In Christ. Now, again, how do we know that? We have the Word of God. So when you come, you're, you're in 1 Corinthians 2 there. When you think about that, we don't operate in the realm of ignorance. Well, yeah, we shouldn't. God has revealed some glorious details about his future plan and purpose. And it all sits on the foundation of all that is in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because he can't do anything in the heavenly places unless Israel is declared to be in unbelief. He can't do anything with the Gentiles. He can't give Gentiles access straight to God outside of Israel unless Israel's been declared to be cast away fallen, dead, enemies. So everything that God's doing has a foundational point of Romans 9, 10, and 11. And the only way to understand what he's doing in 9, 10, and 11 is to understand that it all has to do with something far bigger than thinking you are spiritual Israel or replacing Israel. It's something bigger. And Paul just can't contain himself. He's just busting out. So when you come, um, when you're there in Romans 11, that's how he ends the section. Now Romans 11 ends with this bust out of, you can know it, you know it all, it's all been revealed, to go into Romans 12:1, and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? By the mercies of God. Well, why would he say that? What did he just reach back up into? Chapter 11. Why do you have mercy? Because of the change in the program. Why did we have a change in the program? Because of it, the condition in Israel made it such that God was able to do and change. 
Now, by the way, could God have done it earlier? Sure, he could have done it whenever he wanted to. But he had to have Israel right on the brink of destruction. Because that's what the world needed. Because it's a, it's a worldwide international ministry now. You think about, well, we'll introduce 12 next time. But when he says, that thing about that unsearchable and knowing, I don't know if you've ever paid attention. Uh, come over to 2 Timothy 2. H have you ever thought, look at 2 Timothy 2 verse 7. Think about Job. Satan and God get together and make an agreement. Job knows nothing about. Everything that happens to Job, Job doesn't understand why bad things are happening to a good guy. He doesn't get it. He doesn't know. It hasn't been what? Revealed. He gets all the way down, three miserable friends. Just curse God and die, his wife says. You know, I just let you ought to just boom, boom. And he still, he won't because he knows, he believes. And yet he gets down in the end and when he talks to God, God starts asking him questions and Job's like, well, no, I wasn't there. I don't know unless you what? Tell me. See, Job never knows, never understands that he was being an instrument used by God in a game with Satan. It's never really revealed to him that that's the case. Now, it is, subsequently, we look back, we see it. But you think about that. You come to Paul, Paul says, yep, here it all is. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 7. Consider what I say, Paul. And the Lord give thee understanding in what? All things. Do you know that without Paul, you can't understand Israel's program? Without Paul and his epistles, Romans to Philemon... Israel can't understand Israel's program. Come over to 2 Peter 3. That's why Peter invokes Paul's epistles here. But I want you to notice what happens, how he says it, how Peter says it here. Look at 2 Peter 3, verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as beloved even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, now watch, in which are some things hard to be understood. You see how Peter says you, you're not going to understand it? Paul says, consider what I say to the Lord, give the understanding in all things. Peter says, when you read that, you ain't going to understand it. You see, Peter doesn't have full understanding. Paul does. Go back there to 1 Corinthians 2. We were here just a minute ago. Should have did this then, I guess. So when he says unsearchable, but then he says what? You're to know. It is comprehensible. You know what we got to do? We got to get ourselves out of the way. We got to get our religious baggage cart unloaded at the depot. I really, I should say, at the dump. <laughs> and we need to come and approach the word the way God would have us approach it, study it, with a right division, rightly dividing the word of truth, a dispensational viewpoint. And then you know what happens? Things kind of open up, and the next thing you're not saying is, well, I'm spiritual Israel, and I'm claiming things that I... And rather you're saying, no, I am a Gentile, I'm a part of the church, the body of Christ, and I've got the sure mercies of, not David, but of God. 
1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. And again, the perfect there is not sinless where you don't ever make a mistake. It's that issue of maturity. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. So we're not going to go after human viewpoint, which is really propagating the satanic policy here. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto, notice that, our glory. Man, you think about our glory. It only resides in the fact that our life is hid in Christ. And when Christ appears, he's what? Our glory. You know, without that, you're just taking up airspace. That's all you're doing. Now watch verse 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew. Knew what? That hidden wisdom. That hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. That program for the heavenly places before he said anything about creation. Remember we looked several, well, last year now, in Proverbs he's got that map called Wisdom, that blueprint of creation. Over there, before that map was, that blueprint was ever unrolled, he says, we're going to have us a little secret planning party here. Before he ever created any of the angelic creation. The Godhead came, and what did they do? They made a plan of hidden wisdom, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, not Calvary, it what? The hidden wisdom. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They were going to kill him anyway. But if they had known what Paul reveals about what Calvary means, as a mechanism of him reconciling everything back, they wouldn't have done it. Because when Satan gets kicked out of the heavens, Revelation 12, he ain't worried. Because he can still do what? Take the earth. He thinks he can. When he thinks he can take the earth, he ain't worried because he thinks he's still got heaven. He thinks he's going to win one of the realms. Until who? Until the Apostle Paul. And when, on the road to Damascus, when God stopped Saul in his tracks, the most shocked creature in all the universe is the adversary. Why? Because now what, what is God doing? That doesn't match. Where is that? That wasn't back there in that Old Testament. Where is it? He's on the Google search. Where is it? And it isn't there. That's why he says, verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, Neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that loved him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So what do you have to have? You have to have the Spirit. Well, how do I get the Spirit? Now we're over here at Calvary again, trusting the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, faith and faith in him alone. The Holy Spirit comes in, Ephesians 1.13. The Father takes the Holy Spirit indwells us with him and seals us with him and guess now what we can do now we can come and we can do what have the hidden things revealed in romans 11 that's what paul's getting at 
and he just can't keep his mouth. All oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And that's what he's after. And now chapter 12, he's going to say, see, you see those mercies over there? Now we've got a reasonable service and we've got some activity for, to go and do. But if you think you're spiritual Israel, that will fail. If you think you're replacing Israel, that reasonable service will fail. You have to operate on who you are, 6, 7, and 8, and that identity. And the only way to get that identity is chapters 1 to 5 is being justified. So now we're on those stepping stones, okay? Okay. We will do chapter 12 through 16 next time, all in one day. I'm done. Had enough of it. No, we've, we've been at this for 124 lessons, I think I have. Yeah. So we've got probably another hundy to go, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions in it. We thank you that we're able to comprehend it and to take it into our thinking, down into our hearts, and apply it out into, our, into the details of our life. And we'll give you the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.